everybody. Welcome to Greg's Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Reach out to Alex Asante. You need some help. Legal stuff. Bike911.com. He's a motorcycle enthusiast just like yourself. All right, let's welcome in Jason Pridmore, who's sitting in a hotel room somewhere in the world right now. What? What? Where are you, JP? <laughs> What's up, Greg? Um, I'm in uh, Minneapolis. Oh, you're still in Minneapolis. So, where are you going? Yeah, headed to Dublin today. So off to uh, like Dublin, Ohio. Off to or? the other side. Yeah, no, the the land of the of the real Dublin. Yeah, over there, land of Guinness. So, oh. yep, flying in. Uh, leave to well, leave this afternoon, and uh, I, I rode all day. At Brainerd yesterday, I shouldn't say all day. I did three sessions with Zars up there with Jessica Zaluski's group and uh, and Simon and David and all the boys. So we uh, we rode yesterday, flew down here last night, and um, yeah, take off at two o'clock. I'm gonna go to Dublin for three days, and then I'm gonna catch a plane on Friday night over to London and meet Simon, who's coming in. We're gonna go to MotoGP at Silverstone, so that'll be cool. Yeah, we're gonna talk about MotoGP yeah. coming up. We have. Moto America Brainer to chat about and a little bit of World Superbike. And of course, we normally kick this podcast off with news presented by Arai. So let's get into it. That's right. Uh. Helmets made by the dedicated hands of those who work at Arai have shown examples of supreme protection for decades. The numerous improvements by their experienced hands and personal desire to further the protection of riders' heads are among the many unique reasons Arai helmets perform the way they do. From our very first helmet to those we make today, rider protection remains our first priority. And we at Arai shall never forget the value of what we have been seeking to protect is priceless. Go visit AraiAmericas.com. Check out all the cool information about the tech on their helmets. Obviously, good paint schemes and those types of things. They got Neato visors and all kinds of stuff. AraiAmericas.com. Someday, Jason, I'll have some pipes, you know, some real, like, mm. smooth, buttery pipes, you know? I got to start smoking, I guess. Get Did some you of use those. the word neato? Yeah, neato. Mosquito. Neato. Yeah, nice. Well, we just, you know, you know the mosquito is the state bird of Minnesota. So it's just. You know kinda... what? We're pretty lucky up here. I didn't, I, I really, I was on a lake too this week, which was cool. And I didn't really see too many mosquitoes. I was very surprised. It's been very dry extremely dry up in minnesota you could tell it was like up there there wasn't like the lush green that we normally see in that part of the country and they've been really struggling to get some some rain there i I noticed that i don't i didn't go like you know you can go straight down to brainerd into st cloud and then get on the freeway and take a left most people go that way i never drive that way i actually head out a little bit east and then start taking all these like secondary roads like state road 23 and all this kind of stuff so it just rolls you through farmland (laughs) probably adds about 10 minutes to the drive but honestly yeah. dude it's just so nice and i don't have to deal with any traffic and it's just you're out by yourself someone that goes just, past the lake and the casino that you stayed at a couple no nah, i was right? actually further west than that so it's oh, halfway okay. between where brainerd and that lake is and i just kind of shoot down and then take a left and i would kind of get on another road that that would connect you uh south of the lake okay and then eventually you get you get to the freeway 94 or whatever it is but anyway i was rolling through the farmland man just looking at Farmers working on a Sunday and all the dust and just how the green isn't vibrant and brilliant. But in terms of racing, Jay, um, you know, listen, we, uh, you know, it was good. But let, let's let's talk about this news because the first item that I picked out of the the news for Rye is something that we learned about last week late, which is the fact that 
Moto 2 and Moto 3 are not going to be on Dunlop tires anymore. Yep. They're actually going to be on Pirelli's next okay. year. Yep. So let's talk about that for a second, because that is a much bigger impact than people think. What do you think about the switch from Pirelli to, to or from Dunlop to Pirelli? You know, Greg, we, I guess we've seen some of this kind of stuff so much. It doesn't, I mean, doesn't really affect me or my thoughts. It's just tires are tires to me. But that said, these guys are going to have to go, you know, the off-season testing for the Moto2 and Moto3 riders is going to be a lot more impactful for the riders and the teams. Um, they're going to adjust to it. They're going to, they're going to make their, their, their adjustments accordingly. And, um, you know, they, I think, you know, one of the funny things is, is that being that the MotoGP bikes are on Michelin's, we always hear the talk about how the different rubbers are getting put down over the course of a weekend between the Michelin's and the Dunlops of the other classes. And it'll be interesting to see what it's like if that is as different at all between what Pirelli rubber lays down compared to the Michelin rubber lays down. Yeah, look, I don't understand all the idiosyncrasies of, of it all, but um, it'll just be an adjustment of period for those teams uh, in those other two classes to, to get used to. But, you know, they'll get up to speed quickly. I don't think it's going to really affect anything too much. Yeah, I look at it as a, a little bit uh, different kind of perspective from more like a uh... – I don't know how you'd say it, like a technical perspective, I suppose. Yep. What's going to be interesting to me is how the Moto2 bike handles such a soft front. So if you look at the tires that are made in the U.S. that we use in Moto America, the Dunlop is significantly stiffer than the Pirelli tires that are used because what right. they use in World Superbike is kind of what they, same stuff they sell to track day riders here in the States and all that stuff. But the tires that they use in Moto2, yes, it's Dunlop, but it's not the same company. It's not the same Japanese or American company uh, Sumitomo who owns them they're a different company but they're just branded and yep. that tire is way stiff and it's part yep. of the reason why in my opinion Cameron Bobier never got along with the Moto2 bike was because there wasn't a lot of give in the tire I mean you know you you talk to Sam Lowe's and some other people in the class yep so what we do know is that the Moto2 bike the chassis itself is a very specific chassis made for racing it's not a street bike adapted like we see in World Superbike World Supersport that type of thing and so It'll be very interesting for me to listen, read the comments of people switching tires as to how a super soft feeling front tire reacts with those chassis or if they're going to have to be completely redesigned. That's one thing. Right. The other thing, too, is that I, I know that you that as a rider and you've said it for years and years and years. Ben Bostrom said it for years. They're just black hoops. I'll adapt to it. And that's true. Yeah. But if you have these spec series like a British Superbike or any other series that's running Pirelli's. It will be theoretically an easier transition because we have seen difficult transitions for people from one tire to another to another. And so maybe that's also going to be a big kick in the pants. Or what about the transition from from World Superbike or even World Supersport getting people into Moto2 or Moto3 if that's even something that's on the table? Dorna does own both series. Yeah. So it's an interesting move. My guess is... Because Dorna owns both series, there was something there, you know, that makes a lot of sense for them on a business standpoint. But it's definitely going to change a bunch of stuff. And then what you said, though, which is, I think, the key to it all for MotoGP is what how how is the Pirelli rubber or the Michelin rubber going to react to the Pirelli rubber? We yeah. know how it reacts to the Dunlop rubber right now, and that's going to be a big deal. I think the perspective that I came from was a rider where it's, you know, you don't have a choice. You got to just go there and get used to yeah, it. Yeah, everybody's going to be the same and, rubber, and, and so just go. It's like it's like Danilo Petrucci going from our series over to World Superbike, and 
he had so many different things he had to get used to with it with the new bike and the team and and the tires were just one more element to that but you can see now he's being he's a lot more successful and he's got used to that and and when you have the series running the same tire all the teams are going to be doing the same thing they're all going to be grinding out and testing and working hard and you know that the level of stiffness that the tires are i think that when you start to think about like the Moto2 chassis specifically, like you said, um, the tire that they use is so hard and, and that's been a problem. Well, SDK and some of those guys have come from Dunlops that are a little bit, you know, harder or stiffer than the Pirellis and it's still a difficult transition. So I think it's, again, you got to kind of go into it. Like you said, Pent Bostrom and I and so many others, you don't have a choice. You got to try to just go adapt. And that's what those, that's what those riders are going to have to do. But they'll they'll work a lot of that out during preseason testing. Yeah, it'll be very critical preseason yeah. testing. Uh, you know, sticking with MotoGP, Jay, you know, the last time they were on track was June 25th. They're on track, obviously, as you mentioned, next weekend coming up. And a lot of the riders that are injured, including Joan Mir, it, Polo Spargo, are back in action. Mark Marquez pulled out of the last race, too, injured. He looks like he's, you know, well, the press release came out today that, you know, the Repsol Honda team is back to full strength. What was interesting in reading some of the comments is that, um, like, Johan Zarco basically said, like, Marquez needs to kind of calm down a little bit and not come back and prove to everybody that he's this magnificent Mark Marquez that maybe he's got to stop injuring himself so much. Mm. If you look at the Repsol team, you look at Polo Spargo coming back, you know, you look at your boy, um, Renz, who's really struggling with a leg injury. I mean, something you can relate to for sure, when you were racing. What, what do you see about these injuries that we're seeing and, and the big break and how important it is to have a month off in, in the middle of MotoGP season? I think it's important that Mark Marquez gets as much data as he can if they're going to continue to move forward and try to get this Honda better. Um, there's so much like rumored stuff about what's going on with all these riders that you just talked about. You know, um, With Paula Spargo on a two-year deal, uh, his accident was he was just really unlucky to get as banged up as he was. I can't remember the last time we saw a rider get that banged up in a while, to be honest with you in MotoGP, you get the, you get the broken legs and stuff, but he had multiple injuries, facial injuries, jaw, all that, that they were pretty catastrophic. So for him to come back, he's going to come back to this thing. He says he's a hundred percent for Marquez. You know, some of the stuff that Zarco says is definitely true. I think it's a really important thing for him to come back and finish, finish races get through a weekend. Um, it's, it's really not normal to crash two, three times a weekend. And Marquez seems to be doing that. And when you said that the Repsol Honda team is back to full fitness, my first thought was for how long, you know, um, it's going to be important that, you know, they got Iker like uh, this weekend. I think it's, he took Rinza's spot, right? So you, you're back to four Honda riders. And I don't know what has gone on in the summer breaks and the, attempt to start the process of where we go from here to make this bike better. I think that they have bigger issues with trying to keep Marquez intact. We've already heard that Mir wants to leave. He was trying to go on with, I think, Grassini or someone. Yeah, Honda's got, a, Honda's got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of moving parts. It sounds like they're losing Rins to Yamaha. Um, it sounds like they're thinking about putting Lekawona on LCR. There's there's so many moving bits to that Honda thing and it'll be interesting just getting a chance to talk with Steve 
over the next three or four days in person before I head to Silverstone of what he actually knows. Um, cause he's such a great pipeline for you and I, Steve he, English, Jason, Steve English. About, yeah. Steve English. Cause he's there. Who's the commentator um, for world Superbike If you don't watch and a good friend yeah. of ours. Yeah. Not quite so, a good, a friend of mine because obviously he spends time on the links with Jason swinging the club, yeah. shaking yeah. hands and doing all that stuff. <clears throat> all yeah, the while exactly Dave, right. poor David Kolb is so jealous, you know? <laughs> yes. But, uh, man, you know, just you just think of all the things I brought up with Honda. There's just so many things going on there, isn't there? I mean, there's so many things. And Silverstone's been a good track for Marquez and the Honda in the past. Um, it's much more flowy. Not you know, it's got a couple stop and goes, but it's a very flowing, faster kind of track where they could kind of um, they could kind of be competitive. I always think about the race between him and Rins a few years back on the Suzuki. When Rins was on the Suzuki. Is it flat? Is Silverstone relatively flat? Yeah, I think it's pretty flat. I've never been there, and it always oh, it looks okay. flat. I've never been there, Greg, but I know I've that I think there's a video game some, plenty of times, and it just looks dead yeah. nuts flat. So well, I, I think that know. there's a couple little subtleties. Like we talked this weekend, Brainerd is flat. <laughs> you know, yeah, Brainerd, Brainerd is, is flat, yeah. flat. Um, but I think Silverstone might have some subtleties, but for the majority, I think it's pretty flat. Brainerd's only camber, I think, is probably that turn one to two area where it's I got agree. a degree or two. <laughs> I don't yeah. you know, three or four degrees. I don't even know. Yes. But yeah, yes, it, yes. it's I mean, I hope everybody stays healthy. I think they've raced what eight races already and they have twelve to go. So it's, it's, it's not even not even the halfway point. There's still a ton of racing, long way to go, and obviously two races a weekend. It's it's gonna be uh it, it'll be very interesting. You know, there is another little, you know, speaking about MotoGP. There was a, a an interview done with Marigali, who is part of Yamaha team, and you know they were talking about losing that satellite team, yeah, the RNF team, losing that, and how you know there is the possibility that they'd like to get Rossi back in the fold in 2025. I mean, Jason, what kind of hail mary do you think has to happen, or some crazy thing has to happen for Yamaha to be able to turn this thing around in a year and a half that would entice Rossi? And the VR46 team to come off of Ducati and onto a Yamaha. Yeah, that's a tough one. And again, because you and I aren't really in the in the know of what, you know, we're not there every weekend in the paddock. We don't know all the, the influential people that are making these decisions. I think that, you know, it's just so hard to imagine talking about Honda and Yamaha the way we do right now and the turmoil that both companies are in from a MotoGP perspective. Um I mean, really, from a racing perspective, Yamaha is still obviously competitive with at least one rider on their bike and top rack and world superbike. But but other than that, in at the world stage, struggling, you know, pretty hard for Rossi. You know, again, I don't know him. He's off racing cars. He's got a team that I'm sure is managed, even though I'm sure he's got some involvement. He's got riders that are, you know, that he can bring up through an academy right now and put on a winning motorcycle, which is the Ducati. Um, how much of that gets lost, Greg, if you're, if you have the opportunity to potentially be a moto, uh, not a moto, uh, a VR 46 rider, you know, you're a mm-hmm. moto two guy right now and you see Rossi move off Ducati and get onto Yamaha's, but you want to eventually get to moto GP. Uh, you know, I, how many of those guys want to go to that bike right this second, or it's going to have to be a, a I think it's going to have to be a process for a, them to really think about um that team's strong i mean the mooney team is obviously very very strong with bedzaki he could still win the championship this year so i don't think he'd be in that same position obviously if he was on on the blue bikes right now 
Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our news presented by Arai. Jay, have you had a chance to open up all the windows for results and stuff for Moto America's? Races? I do. I, I okay. have the Superbike stuff opened at least right okay. now. So let's get started with that because this this is going to prove to be a pivotal weekend, I think, for us, Greg, in the sense of a Moto America Superbike Championship. Um, this, I think when we go back at the end of the year, if Jake Gagne goes on to win the championship, we still have a lot of racing to go. We still have two at uh, we still have three races at Pittsburgh, and two more at Coda, two more at Jersey. So, when you start to think about it, we still have seven races actually left. But Jake Gagne this weekend took in forty five points, uh, a big big points haul for him. And when you look at Cambobier not scoring a single point, and you look at Josh Heron um, having a, a mechanical at, at really really an inopportune time in that second race. Um, this was a gigantic weekend for, for Jake Gagne. And I thought the fact that he, you know, he came out the first day, he ends up winning the first race uh, after, after Bobia makes a, a mistake in turn three at the start of the first race that day, he makes a mistake in turn three, starts a bit of a chain reaction between him and Skultz. Red flag comes out due to oil. I mean, the next start, Bobia crashes really big out of turn three and is ruled unfit for Sunday. Um, Gagne took full advantage of that Saturday. And I don't know, Greg, if he even knew that Bobier was out of that race. Um, when you go back and you think about the pace that PJ Jacobson had, who, you know, had, he was the rider of the weekend for me. Obviously PJ was PJ ends up second, a 10th of a second behind on Saturday. He goes on and wins on Sunday. And you kind of wonder if Gagne would have known that Bobier was out would he have raced as hard as he did on Saturday, which I think he would have. I really do. I think that he's going to take advantage of opportunities and he was trying to win on Sunday as well. But um, I don't have the points up. I'm sure you probably have a better idea on that, but yeah, but yeah. It's it, 60, 60, <clears throat> hold on. 68 points between Gagne and Heron at this point. So 68 yeah. points, 79 back to Bobier and a hundred to PJ. Yeah. So you said how, there's seven races left in the season, right? So if you the, – the first thing we look at is the first to second split. So let's say that Cameron Bobier goes on a run. Gagne sits back and hangs out with him. He's, he's almost 80 points back. That's only 35 points, right? right. So right. If you, even if there's seven left and there was – it's nine points between first and third, yeah. Bobier still can't win the championship. Heron could. Yeah. If Heron could go on a run, I'm just not convinced that the Ducati is going to be like – great at like jersey necessarily you know which is a kind of a similar profile to what we've had here although man they made some massive steps didn't they on sunday they did. did you did you actually did. find out what happened with heron's bike at all i didn't i, I didn't you know what yeah. the way they were working on it looked like clutch but i don't know i mean when we saw the, the tv shots i didn't get a chance to uh to see any the, actually the warhorse ducati rig was at the track yesterday but i didn't see anybody there from the team but you know the thing is, is that is that you're 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 exactly right. I can see Josh. I'm not counting him out anywhere at all anymore. That team's working hard in Pittsburgh. We know he goes good. He goes well there. Uh, Coda. Look, he goes well everywhere. It's just a moot point. But but Ducati traditionally has not worked very well around uh, Jersey. We've seen Laura mm-hmm. st- struggle there on it. We've seen Petrucci again. A whole nother team and a bike and all that stuff this year. So it is, you know, but it just seems it like flat racetracks 
wasn't most a relatively flat track didn't it no i I don't i don't know i've never i've never been there so i don't i don't really know and i think they didn't struggle greg they finished you know they had they had four out of the top five in the last race with with top rack falling out which we'll get to in a bit but I think that's what that, I was saying. That would have disproved my yeah. It would have disproved my theory hundred percent. But you got to remember too. I promise you that most is way way smoother than Jersey. I think it's the it's well yeah the or bump. Brainerd. Brainerd yeah. is so bumpy. That's really there's so but many. You know, great. I rode that track yesterday, and it's not that bumpy. Oh, it's not. It's, it's got some bumps here and there, like any racetrack does. I mean, is it Road America? No, but it really isn't that bad. It, it isn't, and and you know. I, Josh, well, I think, let, hold on. Let me ask you this: yeah. Were you riding at a pace that you would have noticed uh, a grip no. change? No. At, okay, at the okay, no, no. But I'm saying that, like, when you ride, I've I've got enough experience that I can draw back on and go, okay, I know what a bumpy track is to not a bumpy track. And if you look at the changes they made overnight to the Ducati for Josh, um, he arguably was. I mean, he ran those guys down. He was on the back of Gagne and PJ Jacobson. He was he was there and. I don't want to take anything away from PJ because he he went out and won that race. PJ Jacobson did, but Heron would have been a factor towards the end because we know Josh is going to take a shot if he can. If he can take a sniff of it and get close enough, he's going to do something. Um, but that being said, we, we'll never know. Um, but it's look, all this doesn't matter. Gagne's got almost a three race lead right now over Heron. Yeah, that's the point, and it is going to take something. It's going to take a big mistake or mechanicals or something from that team, which we just historically don't see, especially when it comes to crunch time. Um, and I think you brought up a good point too. You know, Richard's been pushing these bikes pretty hard. I think uh, trying to the BMW has made everybody rethink how they've got to strategize going and winning races. And now I don't think that that pressure is there as much. I'm not saying anybody's laying down. I'm just saying that. At the end of the day, these teams are all thinking one thing, you know, at the beginning of the year, win the championship. That's an important thing. Agreed. Yeah. The other thing Stan Bowley has in his back pocket, if this program continues next year, which at this point, you know, they're they're at the end of a two-year deal with Yamaha on on that deal, and we all expect it to move on. But if if this kind of trend continues and Gagne wraps up the championship early or he's got such a massive lead, I guarantee you Stamboli will start throwing parts on that bike that he wanted to test in the winter, and they'll start mm-hmm. trying to get ahead for next season because now he knows what the BMW is capable of, and he's cap- and he, now he knows what the BMW is capable or the Ducati is capable of as well. Yeah, and so you know he, you you definitely want to want to get past your level of competition. You want to try to figure that out, and I think as frustrating as frustrating as it might be to Richard Stamboli of the aging R one. I think there's something in there in the conversations I had with him this weekend that excite him about trying to get this older motorcycle competitive with these new bikes, if that makes sense. Now, Richard's, I mean, yeah, I, we, we talk about him all the time and just how kind of special he is, you know, in that sense. But, you know, I think that when you look at it, I was going to ask you this. Um, we know last year they went to Portimao. There's been no discussion of that again. And I wonder if that's because the weekend after Jersey is is the Portimao round. I don't think there'd be enough time to get everything there, or I haven't heard anything about that. I, I kind of thought that there's it would a couple, be, there's a couple yeah. factors. Number one, two years ago they had yeah. Gagne and they had uh, Cam Peterson in the Daytona 200 on Pirelli tires. Yep. And I think that the entire situation with them running Pirellis and testing and all that kind of stuff, 
yep. also opened the window for the conversation for, you know, for them going to, to World Superbike. Yep. I'm not really certain that the way Jake Gagne rides right now, that it's a good idea to just go and dump him on a set of Pirellis. I know that hoops are hoops, yep. but I've said this many times, and I'm sure people are tired of me hearing it, but for sure, in a weird way, the Pirelli makes more of its speed on the front tire and how good the front tire is than it does on the rear. Yeah. Gagne really relies on the way the Dunlop rear works and driving off the corner. Um, you know, in conversations and the data that I've seen, he doesn't carry as much speed into the corners as a lot of the other riders out there, Gagne. Yeah. So it's really good for Gagne to be able to control the pace because he can control the corner entry if everybody's behind him, and then he can dictate how he gets off that corner. Yeah. And he makes a lot of that speed with, with like you've talked about before, getting it up on the meat of the tire and driving it out. Yeah. And in order to do that effectively, you've got to slow down a little bit in the corner, going into the corner, mid-corner to get there. So the Pirelli, I think, would suit a guy like Cameron Bobier a little bit better, mm-hmm. a guy like Richie Escalante a little bit better, yeah. because they like to ride the front. They like to carry the corner speed where, you know, you 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 look at like Gagne. I think you could take Jake Gagne and plug him into MotoGP and adapt to the Michelin style of riding because that that tire requires you at least compared to a freaking Bridgestone because mm-hmm. a Bridgestone was all front tire, you know. Right, so right. I, I think it's more of a, a one race style thing. I think, you know, as adaptable as people can be and Gagne is as adaptable as anyone. And he does work on his riding all the time. He talks to me about it quite a bit. Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly right. So we'll see what happens to them um, and see where that goes. Next race is at Pitt. But let's give P.J. Jacobson a little love here because we've watched him like kind of travel the world. I've seen him race here in America years and years ago. I mean, it was like – I mean, Greg, I thought about this last night. It was 2010 – that I did that race at Laguna Seca, I think. Um, I kind of did it on a dare with Celtic. Do you remember that? And he was oh, yeah, riding Celtic bike. Yep. And he was riding Super Sport, I believe, on a Ducati. Then for Celtic, for Celtic, and yeah. <clears throat> I remember going to Jersey and testing at a track day, and PJ was there, and um, and I'm, I mean, gosh, you think about that. It was 13 years ago, and then. Where he's gone between now and then, uh, all over the world, got a World Superbike, World Supersport, BSB. He's kind of traveled the world. I couldn't tell you the last time PJ won a race. It would have been a fun question to ask him. Um, uh, it, was, it was Supersport, Moto America Supersport a couple of years ago. No, no, no. I mean, over like on a Superbike. I think he oh, won. Oh, uh, 2015. Won 2015 was the last time. No, no, no. Sorry. 2015 in World, world Supersport. Is yeah, the at the world level. Okay, and then and then I know he did some stuff here. Obviously, when he's been yeah. back with us, but I think he won a race or two in BSB, didn't he? He did. Oh yeah, he won in BSB. Yeah. Um, he's run World Supersport races, and I mean, look, you know, the yeah. only other American to win a World Supersport race, and the first person to ever win a World American to win a World Supersport race is Jason Pridmore. No, right? it's not. so I finished podium. Sorry, podium. Yeah, yeah. Good, first, good. first American to podium. You're trying to give me love, G Dub, but that was never. That yeah, good yeah, thing. that was a little you know bit, I mean? little so, bit. Yeah, yeah, I got a little ahead of my, a little ahead yeah. of myself. Yeah, yeah it's a man crush thing. Uh, you know, appreciate it. Uh, no, but I don't, mean, the guys don't yell wanted, at your radio right now, Kolb. Yeah, anyway, the guy is. Uh, the guys wanted a lot of levels, and he rides hard, and he deserves that ride. That he, that I was really happy to see them bring him back at the end of last year because he deserved the shot. I mean, he he rode really hard last year. 
And it seems like, uh, you know, he was very complimentary to Cameron on the weekend, you know, basically saying, hey, my teammate would have been here doing the exact same thing, uh, you know, this weekend. But he he took that race to Gagne and and he won the race fair and square. And hence, where's he at in the points? He's fourth, you say, in the points? 100 points back? 100 points back. (coughs) But but let's talk about the other thing. What Gagne had said post-race cannot be ignored. The fact that P.J. Jacobson was absolutely like sideways sideways just dirt tracking that thing the tire was gone and he was still able to maintain that speed and Gagne said he he hung back for a little while and then he wanted to put the push on him and he said man that thing was everywhere and yeah. you could clearly see it Gagne's bike was still in line even with the way he was riding it and yeah. PJ is just like the talent level is undeniable the fact that he's been doing it for so long is incredible and the fact that he's been able to go up and down and up and down and up and down in results and career and still be able to get confidence. But the one thing I don't want to ignore in this thing yeah. is, dude, you have got to give props to Scotty Jensen. His 100%. Crew. Yeah. PJ, absolutely. you and I both know that PJ is an incredibly talented motorcycle racer. Like yep. he is up there with some of the best. The one yep. thing that PJ has never been really good at is conveying the feedback that he needs to give to his crew chief. And it's taken Scotty Jensen this, you know, a little while. You could see that they really started to figure each other out in what PJ's feedback was and the crew chief diagnosing that feedback and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm sure a guy like Brandon Posh is going through it right now, working with, you know, working with Fox. It's like, you know, how to, what you're saying and what comes in my ear holes and I translate it as a crew chief sometimes are totally different and it takes years. And this is why you saw a guy like Ben Spees, for instance, go from Yosh, take his crew chief, Tom Houseworth with him to Yamaha, win world Superbike in one season, go to MotoGP. And he was at two different manufacturers, Yamaha and Ducati. And he brought house with them the whole time. Yep. And that's also why Ducati generally, when you get to like the, the world Superbike MotoGP level, they're going to keep your crew chief with you, crew chief with you. So let's say that you start on a lower satellite team and then you go up to the the top, top satellite team and then to the factory team. They like to keep the same crew chief with you during your entire Ducati journey. Yeah, that's correct. It's yeah. crucial. So it I just is. have to it's... say props to Scotty Jensen yep. for being able to analyze, you know, decipher what PJ was having to say and then the improvements they've been able to make to that motorcycle. Because And we're not talking just electronics. We're not talking just tweaking the you know like tweaking the suspension there are other things that are within the rules of bracing frames and doing things that they've been working on and in increasing the rideability of this motorcycle for a guy like pj right yeah no and i mean everything you said it does definitely takes more than just the rider and there's a team behind scotty that's giving him the tools that he needs so real quick greg let's just go through some results Gagne jacobson heron was our podium on day one josh hayes who we'll talk about here in a minute uh, he ends up fourth, uh, only 5.8 seconds back. Escalante, Bobby Fong, Gillum, Posh, Yates, and Max Flinders rounds out the top 10. Um, on the second day, it was PJ Gagne and Skoltz who ended up getting on the podium barely over Bobby Fong, who was charging on the wrench motorcycles bike. That, uh, charging. That was, I mean, charging. So, I mean, really impressive from Bobby Fong. And just as impressive... Brandon Posh, only 8.6 seconds back on his second week on a superbike. And, you know, got to give him a lot of credit, man. I mean, like, super impressed with, with what Brandon's done. Hayden Gillum ends up six. Escalante, who just struggled. It was really strange seeing 
Richie kind of struggle on the weekend. I mean, yeah, he finished fifth the first day, only seven seconds back. But whatever change they made didn't work, Greg. He was almost 17 seconds back the second day. Josh Hayes, who I spoke to yesterday quite a bit, told me he ran off the track late, Greg. He said, Jay, I was just tired. And I'm tired. Like, yeah, that's I, what I'm I figured. I'm sure you were. I'm yeah. sure you were. He said, he said, I was going into turn three, and he goes, I think that was my brake marker back there. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. And it, and it, and it, and I've it been was. there in endurance. Have you ever been there when you were doing oh, endurance yeah. stuff? Oh, oh yeah, hundred oh, yeah. percent. And you're just going like, yeah. uh oh. Yeah, I mean the 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 emotional stuff that he had to have gone through on the weekend, just from a high and low perspective of, you know, with with Josh winning on Saturday in Supersport, jumping right on Superbike. It's like he was probably tired after that Supersport race, but charged up to get on the Superbike, and he went through that process again the next day. Ashton Yates, uh, ninth and Flinders 10th uh, in race two. So I think that when you look at it, to wrap up Superbike, amazing weekend for PJ Jacobson. You know, again, kind of my rider of the weekend, I feel there. Uh, huge points for Gagne with the struggles of Bobier and obviously Josh Heron. I think Brandon Posh, Bobby Fong, you look at those two and you go, wow, like that was really, really impressive. And we'll get to the Josh Hayes stuff here when we talk about Supersport. When you well, let, let that, me actually yeah. let me just let me get to the Josh Hayes stuff real yeah. quick in terms of Superbike. Yeah, he goes third fastest lap of the race in race yeah. number one. He goes second fastest lap of the race in races in race number two. Um, do you think that having a forty-eight-year-old guy jump on a bike to fans right for the first time? He's he tested it. You know, like it's he was racing a thousand, but gets on the bike for the first time. Does that make the series look bad? Or like what do you what do you think? Cuz some people have made some comments to me like, "Wow, a 48-year-old guy yada 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 gets on this bike." But you've ridden the bike, you've tested the bike, you understand how these modern electronics work. I'm just curious from your perspective. And I'm not trying to bash Hayes and I'm not trying to make no. him look like a hero. I'm just saying from a helicopter perspective. I think it's legit perspective, what you're what you're saying here, Greg. I think it's very legitimate. Because what's your yeah. yeah, but what's my perspective? Sorry. I look, what you're with the line you're going down is amazing because what people have to realize is this. To ride these super bikes at a certain level now, at the level that Josh rides them at, is way easier than it was twenty years ago. Like there wasn't going to be many forty eight year old guys riding motorcycles 10, 20, 30 years ago at the level that Josh can ride a super bike now. Now some that might be thinking that I'm I'm looking down on what Josh is doing. 100% the opposite. You think of all, and you talk about Rossi all the time, Greg, about how he had to go through different, all the different bikes that Rossi won on makes him the greatest MotoGP rider in your opinion because he, wrote, he went from the two-stroke era on 125s to 250s to 500s to, to the, the MotoGP era that we're in now. <clears throat> and he won at all those levels. That's kind of what Josh has done in our series, if you really think about it. And with it, with electronics, this is exactly why track day riders are, I think, capable of going better and faster and safer than they ever were in the past as well. Because the bikes have gotten easier to ride and the electronic advancements that these motorcycles have made have made it easier for all of us to go out and enjoy and go out and ride a motorcycle. And it's uh, you rode a superbike two years ago at Brainerd, <clears throat> and the thing is, is that age is a number, man. It is a number. If you have the desire to still do anything at the top level, 
you're going to be able to do it. And that's what Josh is kind of proving, isn't it? So I don't think that people should, should look at things like that. Then again, Greg, a lot of those people, they're just looking for a reason to hate, to hate, you know, to, that is true. No, I agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, now, what you're think, saying, Jay, yeah. is that the bikes are easier to, to basically you're saying the bikes are. E- I think what you're saying is bikes yeah. are easier to get to go fast. Correct. But because they're more physical, the, right? They're the, the, way more the physical. So, yeah, the fall off in tires and things like that, because without TC and without True. some of that stuff, it would be much more difficult without the electronics. So mm-hmm. and I just go back to like when I rode that bike a couple years ago. And by the way, I asked Richard again this weekend to put another one of those dates on the calendar. <laughs> I did. What a shock. Um, I did. So, no, but, but I, I go. i get another 10 laps on that thing. I, I, I go back to when I rode that bike and how much I thought of my father, to be fair, because my dad won his championships in like 78 and 79. And I thought, you move him on 76, 77, 78, rather, is when my dad won his championships. If I would have put him on a Yoast Superbike in 96, 97, and 98, I don't think he could have got within two seconds of Matt Maladin. I, I just, I, and that's not disparaging my father at all. It's just that 20 years passed to go out and get within two seconds of Matt Maladin on that bike. That was hard for the generation of riders that were racing against Matt, me being one of them. Okay. So. There's no way I don't think that somebody 20 years removed could have done that. Now, Josh has stayed in the game, and that's good. But he's also advanced with the motorcycles because he's tested for Westby and he's tested for Richard and things like that with Yamaha. He rides so, the endurance, right? He rides I mean, endurance. I know it's, it's not sophisticated, as sophisticated electronics and those types of things, but he's right. been on, he's on a 1,000. He's doing laps, laps, laps. Correct. So my point is, is that he has stayed current, and I think that had – my father in 76, 77, had he stayed current, I still don't think at 52 years old of age that he would have been within two seconds. And and I'm only using that because the day that we were lucky enough to go ride, Jake was there, Gagne, and I was 2.1 behind him. And, you know, at 52 years old, you know, I felt very, very fortunate that I could even get that close, right? So... And that's um, my point with Rossi, yeah. Jason. It was so as, much as easier for me. Yeah. 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 But my point with Rossi is, is like, I, I think that, uh, especially in motorsports, that there are some people that are suited perfectly for the era that they're in. Yep. You know, yep. the, the, the yeah, type yeah. of tires, the way the chassis works, the way the power is <clears throat> delivered, their riding styles, you know, Kenny Roberts, who really kind of created the whole knee dragging thing to come into the sport and all yeah, that stuff. No, exactly. Right. Like, and I just think that, that that's the perfect storm of, you know, like we look at it today and really what we look at is, okay, could someone from the 1970s or 1980s get on an electronics bike and, and go fast immediately? No shot because mm-hmm. they've been bred to open the throttle because yeah. let's say in the two stroke era right they knew how to manage an rpm band that would all yeah. of a sudden turn on like a light switch anyway i could go down a rabbit hole i won't but I yeah just yeah because that, that, that that's yeah. an ins- you know what i mean just as much as in any sport you know the 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 running back who dominated who had a level certain level of uh line you know linemen you know yep. defensive linemen or whatever i just think that people sometimes are just perfect for their era and that doesn't always carry over to the next and, era that's but the, the, but the same is true jay can you take peko bagnaya put him on the bmw that your dad was on and have him go as fast right like we could never yeah. answer that question 
It would be a tough one, but I mean, look, it would just be a different thing. I mean, Top Rack Road, uh, Steve Baker's TZ750, I think, at Magello a couple of weeks ago, which was really interesting. I saw some video of it. So, look, you can't compare errors. The thing is, Greg, the thing that makes our sport different is is if you're a professional basketball player, if you're Michael Jordan at 48 years old, you're not going to be as good as you were at 28 because it's just the, the physicality and the body breakdown that you have. Josh has stayed relatively healthy and he's still relatively fit, even though to his admission, he's a truck driver now, you know, going driving around the country, <laughs> but you know, getting, you know, let's, let's get to super sport where Josh did finally break the record on Saturday. He wins the race and, and really, really did it convincingly, Greg. He did it the way Josh has won a lot of his races. He got out front early. He pulled away. <clears throat> he, he managed the gap. Uh, Rocco got a horrendous start, as we know, and wasn't able to close that gap. And uh, and Josh marched on and got that 87th victory. And then the next day, uh, you know, I think a lot of us thought it would probably happen again. And Ty Scott stepped up, and that team made a big jump over the course of the evening. And Ty Scott proved to be, you know, Josh's equal. And um, at the restart of a red flag race that had a nasty accident with uh, <clears throat> with Forsyth and Justin Beamer, um, thank goodness both those riders were okay. Um, you had Ty Scott go to the front, and and really Josh didn't have anything for him. And you know, you threw me on the spot on Sunday, which was great. You said, "All right, Jason, <laughs> we can't interview Josh Hayes. What would he be telling us right now?" <laughs> And I asked him yesterday, he goes, you said it exactly perfect. He goes, I slept like a baby on Sunday night. That's what he said to me. <laughs> so, yeah. What so. A, he had such a busy weekend. And pit race is coming up in a couple of weeks. And we have three super bike races there. Look, folks, I don't know what the future holds. But I'm telling you right now, the chances of Josh Hayes riding five races in a weekend are probably 0.01. Like I wouldn't, yep. I wouldn't bank on him filling in for pit race because there's he he is focused in, on super sport first and foremost. I wouldn't, I would imagine they're going to get somebody else to fill. No, in they're going to get somebody else. We already know who it is, and the thing is, yeah. is that Josh has already told us he can't do it. It's just too much. But I'll tell you this, Greg. I will say this: if Josh just focused on superbike and didn't have super sport this weekend, he's running for the lead all weekend long. Like he's yeah, in that and, lead group all and, weekend long. And did not that surprise <clears throat> me? It surprised you. And surprised Josh, I yep. think. You know, and it, it wasn't for a lack like it wasn't for a lack of the field speed. You know, the the thing that that I thought, okay, so you know, I had been off a bike for three years or something. I go to do Battle of the Olds, and I've been around Chuck Wall a bazillion times. It's on a six hundred. Yep. In my head, I was like, all right, no big deal. I'm just gonna get right back up to speed where I was three years ago. But man, when you drive around city streets. <laughs> You know, you're going 65, 75 miles an hour on a freeway. Yep. It is not the same. It isn't. And I think that more than the physicality of, you know, of staying on the bike and staying current and, and knowing how your body moves is the speed in which your brain works. And the fact yep. that Hayes is racing currently, that he stayed current, all those things. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a big deal. It's it's definitely yeah. a big deal. So, and, and Jay, the same thing goes for you. You're out there teaching for lap after lap, day after day after day. You're going... 70 percent of what you're Correct. capable of 80, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it is and then it, it, you cannot expect your brain to go now i can dig and go 99.5 percent of where i was when i raced full-time yeah you gotta it, click it's, it's a click in spot and yeah it's, it's gonna take a minute you know yeah it's gonna take a yeah. minute anyway so so that was it so super sport um you know 
Chavi Forez ends up there's some finally some some cracks there. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't like, know if I'd go that far. It just wasn't. No, I mean, it, it look, just it was just. A, it, yeah. I just don't think that 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 team was prepared for the Ducati necessarily suits the. You know, it's the way the bikes designed, the bumps and all that kind of stuff. We know it's yeah. been there. So it's it's been one of those situations. And then you add to the mix another rider that was capable of finishing on the podium in Rocco Landers. But at the end of the day, Forrest still leads this championship by 84 points. Ty Scott, 87 points. So Hayes and Scott are really locked in a really nice battle. It was Mesa that I was uh, kind of bummed for. Yeah. He had some really good pace at times, but because of restarts and whatever, he just wasn't able to close the deal. But that rate, the, the work that that team did over the night, over Saturday night, Sunday night, that bike looked a lot better. I'm just not sure that maybe with the heat cycle on the tire that it worked out for him or he had the same feel or the same start. Yep. But the whole thing with Forez right now, I think, is looking at how many points are available. And he, he I think he's going to rip at pit race. I think he's yep. going to like the place. I think he's going to like the way the Ducati works. I think the smoothness of the pavement. Last time I was there, Jeff White says track's still really in good shape. Uh, the question really becomes when we go to pit race, the new chicane. So we'll yep. talk about that more as, as we get a little bit closer. Uh, moving on to uh, Junior Cup. Yep. Rossi Moore comes out swinging in race number one. He ends up winning by seven seconds. There was an unbelievable battle between Batty, Bickney's, Max Van, and Jaden Fernandez, who without question, Fernandez coming out party. Can't yes. we wait to see if Jaden Fernandez is able to carry this moving forward or if it was a one-track wonder thing. Knowing this class, he's going to carry it forward. He is, yeah. Yeah, but Rossi Moore ends up kind of spanking everybody. And then what a race two we had in Junior Cup. I mean, there were riders throwing shots all over the place. Some were working, some were not. Levy Batty by 87 thousandths of a second over Moore, who we heard, disappointingly, Jason, I think we heard him uh, through the microphones and stuff talk about that there was there was a, he had some mechanical shifting stuff that really yeah. he felt kind of kept the field a little bit close. I think it was a difficult race for him. Nonetheless, for us, it was a spectacular race. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing about it is, is listening to Rossi, you know, talk about his shifting problems that weren't on what you guys heard, but we were hearing it in the break, yeah. is the total race for Rossi Moore was 19 minutes and seven seconds. That's where he won by seven seconds. And the second race was 19.10. So, like, Batty, Fernandez, Avery Dreyer, who, who DNF'd, they were all, like, 19.14. So, if you look at it, they they were three seconds faster total race time, so the field closed on Rossi more as well, even if his bike was a hundred percent. But and, the other thing you got to consider is how far Levy Batty came because he he ran off track and made a mistake, as yep. did Rossi in that race, yep. and yep. and so that's why the total race time would be down a little bit when you look at lap times. So Greg Rossi did nineteen four. Uh, I'm sorry, a minute forty three four the first day, and. He went 43-1 the second. He still yeah. improved. So yep. even though the race was slower, him and Batty both improved. And what a race that Batty ran. I mean, to run the, those guys down. But like he said, he saw those guys kind of jostling for position ahead of him. I mean, you and I talk about all the time the momentum it takes on those bikes. And if they mess with each other a little bit, it could definitely bring them back. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. But, uh, I mean – Levy Batty ran just an amazing race. I mean, he was, it was so fast. It was really and, impressive, especially for a guy who's tried to run races like that since he's been here in the States, and he's yes. thrown it on the ground. Yeah. The, the confidence that he was able to have 
you know, that, that, that he's not knocked down, that he's still at that level. And then he runs off and runs everybody down is impressive. So he's another one, like, you know, he could go on this run, you know, be up front. I mean, he's been up front, but he's been crashing and done some other things. So he sits 38 points back in this championship. So for Avery Dreher, after a DNF in race number one, to come back and get 13 points and finish fourth in that race was really good for the championship. So Max Van also, those those guys came in at 26 apart and they leave at 26 apart because yep. Avery had 0-13, Max had 13-0. It was really, I was really bummed to see Max Van go out. Late yeah, me race. too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yep. Uh, Hayden I, Bickney's is five points behind Max Van, so he's 31 back in the championship. Rossi Moore is the one who's made like leaps and bounds. Rossi starts the year 13-0 points, then he goes 8-0. So for the first four races, Rossi Moore actually only scored 21 points. Mm. Now, Jason, in the last four races, he's only dropped 10 points out of 100. Wow. So he's Rossi Moore right now is the momentum rider. He's 34 points back in this championship. We have... They go Pittsburgh and Jersey, don't they? Pittsburgh and Jersey. Yep. So we have four races left. Yep. So and anything, anything can happen in that class. Yeah, and, and so that's 100 points between them. <laughs> Exciting class. Moving on to uh, Mission King of the Baggers, Hayden Gillum ends up winning over Bobby Fong and James Raspoli. That was a two-and-a-half-second win there. All the while, leaking some fluids out of the back of his, his motorcycle, and I think that prevented Bobby Fong from taking a shot. In race number two, it was Bobby Fong who really kind of dominated, even though Hayden Gillum put a really good push at the end. And then Tyler O'Hare ends up third to Raspoli's fourth. The shock of the weekend, I think, for a lot of people is Kyle Wyman's fourth and Kyle Wyman's fifth place finish. Uh, he They just never really seemed to get that whole situation dialed in. What that's done for the championship is it was Wyman, Raspoli, Hayden coming into the weekend. Now it's Hayden Gillum, three points over Wyman and Raspoli. What a championship it's, we have there. Yeah, it's, it's as snug as you like it. It really yep. is. And they go to Coda and Jersey. Coda jersey. No Pittsburgh for the baggers. And I think, isn't it weird, Greg? Because there just seems to be like, maybe, I don't know what it is, but Brainerd is just one of those places where some people just struggle. Like you see Forrest just struggle on the Ducati. Guys won every single race coming into the into Brainerd, and he's not even on the podium on the weekend. That's crazy. Like maybe, I mean, look, if you take the field and say, okay, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a betting man like Greg and you say, I'm going to take you take Chavi Forrest or you take the field, right? Yeah. Uh, you take the field every time. But would you have taken a bet saying that Chavi Forrest wasn't going to be on the podium? No. No chance. No, no, no. Zero chance. So same with Kyle Wyman. This guy's always top three, always on pole, always qualifying first or second, always on the podium every weekend. The fact that Kyle Wyman didn't qualify on the front row and didn't finish on the podium in either race – um, is shocking. And it was, you know, I talked to him a little bit and it's just like, put that weekend behind you. Let's, Hey, you got a, you got, you got a four, you got a four race championship. Now all these three riders, they have a four race championship. It's between Hayden, James and Kyle. And yep. when you look at it, the thing that makes Chavi Forrest, Chavi Forrest is he didn't crash trying to do something that he wasn't capable of doing. The thing that makes Kyle, what Kyle is, is he didn't do something silly trying to do something that wasn't, you know, trying to force something, make that mistake and make that points gap bigger or worse for himself. Take what you're uh, given any day, right? Yeah. He didn't take himself out of the championship. Obviously he's yeah. right in the middle of it. Still one of the, fa- obviously a favorite. So yeah, huge. Now let's get to stock thousand real quick. This, 
this weekend, Hayden Gillum comes into here. If you remember last year, I had to think about it, Greg, but if you remember last year, he led almost the whole race. Mm-hmm. And then his bike like started starving for fuel at the end of the race. If you remember it, Corey won that race. Oh yeah. Do you remember that kind of? Yeah. So Hayden got some revenge this weekend. Hayden Gillum, who was beyond busy. We just mentioned him in baggers now leading the points in that. Well, not only did he have a first and a second there, but he goes in and wins both races in the stock thousand class to just throw himself right back into that championship. He wins the first day over Caleb DeCarroll. Uh, second in this race was Caleb. Um, Travis Wyman, third. Benjamin Smith, good to see him back, kind of running his own program in Stock 1000. And again, our points leader struggles here. Ezra Bobier comes into this race, leading the championship. He's going to walk out of here, Greg, with a fifth and a sixth on the mm-hmm. weekend. Never really sniffed the podium, never really got up to speed. Really, really weird that those three riders that we've been talking about, Kyle, uh, Chavi, and Ezra, all came in here leading the championship, all struggled. Nolan Lampkin ends up uh, sixth in race one and a very, very credible fourth in race two with you know a third fastest lap of the race. Really good there for him. Uh, De Silva ends up seven. Justin Meast, Cody Wyman. Shocker for Cody as well. Cody just never really got comfortable. You know, we saw him on the podium at Road America on that Altus bike. This one had a tip off in practice or I think F- FP1 or maybe Q2. Can't remember what it was, but I know he fell over. I just struggled, Cody did. We're not used to seeing him that far back. Uh, Jake Schmatter rounded out the top 10 in race one. Race two, Gillum DeCarroll, Benjamin Smith-Lampkin, Wyman Bobier, De Silva, Justin Meese, Schmatter, and Cody 10th. So point standings, uh, when we look at the points for that class now, it's gotten a little bit tighter, Greg, and these guys oh, it's a lot don't tighter. race. Yeah, they don't race at they don't race at Pitt, but they race uh, Coda and Jersey. So – Bobier is leading the championship now by eight points over his teammate. Uh, I'm sorry. Bobier is leading by eight points over Gillum. And then you got Caleb. And they don't race at Jersey. Their last race is at Coda, I think, isn't it? I think it's They only have they two races race left Jersey. in the season, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's coming down to the wire. Uh, your champion is going to be Bobier, Gillum, or, or Caleb. Wyman's still with an outside shot, 27 points back. Travis, that is. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to need some help there. And, and Nolan Lampkin running uh, running fifth in that championship. So Royal Enfield, Bill Train Race, by the way, had a race, yep. Jason. And Michaela yep. Moore still on a win streak, five in a row for Kayla. And she didn't qualify on pole. Sonia Lloyd actually qualified on pole. But then after, I don't know, just getting to know the track or whatever, uh, Michaela Moore ended up smoking everybody by 11 seconds. Yep. Unfortunately, Kaylee Bike, your national champion from last year, was not able to race this weekend. Apparently, she has some type of something going on physically with her. Oh, no. Yeah. And so she, she's not feeling well at all. And so it's like some stuff on her skin and like on the back of her hands. And I, I read oh, it on no a post way. or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so hopefully Hopefully they get to the doctor. It might be some autoimmune thing. So hopefully, you know, some things get sorted out by the next event for Build Train Race. Yep. If you, if you come to a Moto America race and Build Train Race is there, you definitely want to stop by that canopy and, and, you know, the, these are all the same bike with a lot of the same parts on them, but each each athlete has had a chance to customize it to make it their own, and they're quite quite cool to look at. So definitely go check that out. Yeah. Um, so that's that's Moto America, Jay. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be at Pitt. We'll discuss that more. But let's wor- let's move on to World Superbike, where it was uh, a very interesting, very interesting uh, weekend at uh, at most. 
It was crazy. It, it was a crazy weekend, and Sunday was really crazy. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of cool, weird, and cool things happened on Sunday. So, but yeah, Sunday was pretty wild there. So, you know, am I reading this right? Did Johnny Ray win a race? I mean, doesn't seem <laughs> possible, but it was a weather-related race, and he put the yeah. right tire on. Look, when I say that, obviously taking nothing away, it just it was one of those crazy races where it takes. A lot of stones to go out there on slicks or even the intermediate tire that he was on. I know Johnny started on an intermediate and he made the right tire choice. There was a lot of guys on that intermediate tire. Um, but yeah, Johnny Ray wins over over Top Rack and Petrucci ends up third. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, I mean, Redding fourth, uh, Lekawona, Locatelli, Pisani, Agurta, uh, Alex Lowe's, and Baz were your winners in race one. I think we had three different winners this weekend, which was kind of we fun. We did. Right? No, yeah. we did. Yeah. Yeah. And then in, in the Super Bowl race, <laughs> yep. uh, Razgat Lioglu beats Ray by 1.2, Bautista in third, Bassani, Rinaldi, and Garner. So good thing, for, good for Remy Garner getting sixth, just ahead of Lowe's, Petrucci in eighth, Gerloff in ninth. He DNF'd, by the way, the first race, and Lukawona in tenth. Then we got to the second feature race of the weekend. And it was Bautista with the win over Petrucci in second, Ray, Bassani. Petrucci and Ray really had a good battle, but Bassani put in just a, a crazy last couple laps he did. to close the gap. So that that margin of, of, of second place for Petrucci, he kind of drove around the outside of, of Johnny. He did. Uh, the yeah. last kind of two corners or whatever. <laughs> Johnny looked like I, I, he looked like his tire, maybe his rear tire, or he was a little bit tight in that last corner and had a little bit too lean angle to get the drive Petrucci had. Yep. But Petrucci did say after the race that he's got a lot of trust in Johnny, that Johnny really could have roughed him up, pushed him wide, done some things, and was more of a gentleman about it. So, you know, however, the big news coming out of race number two was that really Razgatlioglu seemed to have that race in hand. Bautista said that he didn't think he was going to be able to beat, beat Razgatlioglu, that he was on the limit. But then all of a sudden, Razgatlioglu has this big high side crash, and what we find out later that it looks like it was losing air. The rear tire was losing air, and it sent him to the moon. Now, I don't know what caused it exactly. I read one one little article that said that it was like a blister in the tire, and then it lost. I don't know, dude. It, it, you know, I know that the way the, the construction of the Pirellis are, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that that would happen, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of the construction. But, you know, I'm not a tire person, so I don't know for sure. There's, you know, some people out there that are saying it could happen. But who knows? I mean, look. It could be, I, I they I know they know what happened with 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 uh, Top Rack's tire. Yep. But I'm saying, in my experience, I have seen stems come out. You know, where where crew doesn't put like a a cap on the stem. Stems have backed out, lost air that way. People pick up debris on the racetrack, lost you know that way. I've seen tires spin on rims, never yep. lose any air. Yeah. I've seen tires blister, never lose any air. You know what I mean? So. It's unfortunate for him, and I think a lot it of sucked. people. It was what was interesting is that you could hear Steve try to analyze it, and but he never got a good shot at it by all the he never got it no because the real yeah. tight shot that would have shown yeah. it kind of cut off the tire. You're exactly and right. by the time they keep replaying the shots, you can you can I can see. I didn't know when I first saw it. I didn't know, and I said, "Ooh, something went on with the rear tire." I did the same. I didn't know it was rear tire, but we. You know, Greg, on Sundays, you know, I never watch any social media. We all went back to the house and we we're watching the race on Sunday night. And when it happened, I saw him exit the corner because they went to another shot. And the next thing you know, they go back to Top Rat crashing. And when they showed it, 
I said to everybody, I'm like, that was a, that's like mechanical, like something weird happened. And Nolan had just walked in the house and he Nolan goes, Lampkin. Nolan Lampkin. And he says, he says, I think top rack addressed what happened on his social media. Like this was like five laps left to go in the race. So oh. of course, every, all of us jumped on our phones to see <laughs> without hopefully getting the result of the race. We didn't want to get that, but, um, well, you kind of knew it at that point, didn't you? Anyway, no, I, I knew that there was a problem. And then, of no, course, but I'm saying, yes, you knew, when they showed, when they yeah, showed Bautista, the, the picture, Bautista had a lead, yeah. When they showed the picture, but let's just go back a little bit further. Did you watch the race? Uh, I watched some of it. I was no, I was gotta, doing something. I was doing oh, something yeah. while I was watching the race, so I wasn't paying attention. Like, oh no, you got to you got to go back and watch before he crashes because it's like it was almost comedy watching him just be absolutely relentless and defiant. He was not going to let Batista lead into turn one at any cost. It didn't matter when or how. Mm-hmm. And that Ducati would just go blowing past him, not even having oh, to yeah. draft him, blowing yeah. by him. And he was like, I don't care how far ahead of you you are on the straightaway. I am outbreaking you into turn one. And it was like they're showing the guys in the Yamaha garage laughing, like legitimately <laughs> laughing at the fact that Top Rack was as defiant as he was. What an incredible amount of spike handling skills he has and it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out on the bmw next year i mean i think that might be the biggest thing i'm looking forward to for 2024 is to see what top rack does on that bike on the bmw yeah, it's going to be too. super He'll unlock the potential of that thing wow yeah that you know and dude and, i was talking to stamboli about it actually earlier in the weekend on friday yeah, we were yeah. talking about it and he was he was trying to explain to me the amount of bracing that that team, the Pata team, has had to put on the steering head or the front of that frame to deal with the amount of force that Top Rack is able to put into that Incredible. bike. So, you, you, listen, you remember back in the day when Factory Honda used to race the CBR F, I guess it should have been the F4. F4i. Yeah, I remember that. F4i. Did yeah. they ever come out with an F5? I don't think so. No, no, no. The CBR. And I remember uh, they had conventional forks, and mm-hmm. I remember Miguel bending fork tubes almost every session. Wow. Because he breaks so hard. Yeah. And I've often thought to myself with these upside down fork configurations and the thickness of the walls and the side of these 43 millimeter, whatever they are, is yep. anybody ever bent a fork tube? And I kept thinking to myself, well, if there's anybody who's ever bent the fork tube, it's going to be top rack. Yeah, you ain't lying. I would yep. love to see how many bar of pressure he puts into the brake lever straight up and down. It's amazing. It's just, it's, yeah. And, like, what's crazy is how much of the front tire, it, Greg, here's the thing. When you look at it, okay, with what you say, when you think about when you get on the brakes as hard as he does, what it does to flatten out the profile of that front tire, Okay. Now, I want you to think about this. You got to go back and just watch the first before he falls because you'll okay. get entertainment out of it. But the amount of downforce he puts in that front tire at 15 degrees of lean, you know, mm-hmm. on the way in, where the bike is leaned over and the rear tire is off the ground, but he's created that big of a profile on the front tire, like as far as flattening it out, that he can still continue to break that hard on it. Like, mm. I can't tell you the feel that that guy has. It's it's incredible. And that's what Johnny chased. 
you know, that's why Johnny's got so much better on the breaks because that's what they chased at the end of last year for him on the Kawasaki is to make it to where he could break harder and deeper and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so we talked about Tony Elias bringing him out America. Yeah. You had but, to change, you know, and that's, and that's the question with Gagne. Gagne has a bike set up right now in Moto America where he can go fast. The question yep. is, if someone challenges Gagne, does he have a bike to race with? Can he break with those guys? Yeah, and right. I think that that's always – Top Rack has raised the level of that and how people look at it. So it's pretty pretty cool. But, you know, Josh is like that too. Hayes, he likes to run really stiff fork springs. He doesn't really care so much about mid-corner feel. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he admitted that he said to me yesterday, he's like, you know, I, I can get into the corners and I don't worry about that little bit of mid corner feel that much. Like, you know, as long as it stays there and he can trust it, then he's <laughs> oh, right. So, yeah. so, you know, and Josh like that to an extent, but anyways, super entertaining now in world super sport. Well, let's just go back the final race. We had four Ducatis in the top five. Yeah. So when you think about it and all the crying that they do, right. <laughs> um, about their bikes, I think that some of that can be, squashed a little i mean they've got now they've got you know Bassani and petrucci those guys are both riding incredible by the way like incredible uh and rinaldi ended up fifth so with top rack's exclusion when he when he had his accident the only guy that's even close is johnny on a kawasaki and that quite quite i mean look johnny on the kawasaki right now you could argue is the third best bike I think when Top Rack goes to BMW next year, the Kawasaki will be the fourth best bike out there. We'll see. Okay, so they've had a they've had a seven hundred and fifty RPM swing in that they've taken two hundred and fifty <clears throat> RPM away from Ducati and then over two concessions basically yep. they've given Cowie five hundred more RPM. So there's, but I don't think they've been able to take advantage of that yet for some That's reason. That's the thing, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. That that yeah. was the one thing that I read before most and because it was they given it back and it's such a tight, they'll be able to work on it now because they have a b- bit of a break, right? They have a six week break, but all the yeah. talk now is about Johnny moving to Yamaha and yeah, what the yeah yeah. I went so, and talked to his manager about that, and his manager looked at me like I was I had three heads. Yeah, well, he's so. gonna, isn't he? Chuck looks at you like you got three heads anyway. <laughs> he, sometimes. he does that. Yeah, you know no, what I mean. He does. Yeah, no, he does. So yeah, so so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he does. First thing I did when I showed up to the track, I went right to Chuck Axman, and I go, hey, rumor is Johnny Ray's going to Yamaha. And he goes, what? Yeah, what? Kind of gave me that sideways smile. Yeah, but you could never know with him. No, he is the king of low He's a low reactor. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about Super Sport, Jay, because it was Bulaga who ends up winning race number one. And uh, in race number two, it was... Well, it's Bulaga, Schroeder, and Safaglu. That is not that unusual, okay? When you look Correct. at when you look at that, okay? When you Bulaga, Ma- uh, sorry, Bula, Manzi, Safaglu, yeah, they were the you know the top two guys in the championship. Finished first, second. Uh, Bahat and Safaglu, you know, did what he did. He ran through the field. Uh, you know, Derosa, uh, Adrian Huertas, who is rumored to possibly be taking Bulaga's place mm. on that Aruba team next year. Schroeder. So that's that's all good. But did you watch race two? Did you I, see I race get a two? chance to now? Oh. Greg, again, I almost dry, don't even want to. I don't even want to tell you what happened. Um, oh, I mean, I'm I, looking. At I, the, I know I'm you're looking, looking at, at the results. DNFs right now, going. But like, what? but it was a again. It was one of those races. Uh, everybody started on. You could start on slicks. You could do whatever you wanted. Uh, but it was it. It started raining. Guys came in the pits on their slicks. Guys that were leading, and Tara McKenzie stayed out. Now, Greg, the last time a Honda won. You know, the last time a Honda won a race. P.J. Jacobson, 2015. 
It's 2017. I forget who it was. They Steve mentioned it on the air, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was 17. Um, okay. Maybe Kyle Smith or something like that in the rain somewhere. I can't remember. But so, you know, I mean, look, you look at this MIE racing Honda team, and it's ran by somebody who we, we who we know. Love. Yeah. Love Midori. I love Midori. Morawaki. She's, she's great. Uh, she's amazing. And, and that team, like, look, they have not really done anything. And mm-hmm. Tara McKenzie's a British Superbike champion three or four times. I can't even remember. And this kid took a chance to go ride for that team. It's been horrific all year long. And he stayed out on slicks. And he ended up winning the race and just watching the buildup for it. Like they were going to the MIE pit box. That is by far away the sickest pit box I've ever seen, by the way. Um, and Tara McKenzie wins and Midori's just, you know, she's in puddles, right? She's, she's, she's got every everybody in the world's coming up and congratulating her. Schroeder was charging, though, at the end. He ended up second. Safoglu again, third. And Adam Norodine, I mean, McPhee finishes fourth, as you'd expect him in the weather. Uh, Norodine ended up fifth, also on an MIE uh, bike. So it was pretty entertaining stuff to Let watch. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. At the world championship level, when has a rider who has the second slowest lap of the race, wow. his fastest lap was the second slowest lap of the race win, the only rider wow, to go slower as their fastest lap yeah. Was Abe in 22nd place? He did a 139.1. McKenzie's fastest lap was a 38.1. Most of the people after they changed tires were doing 37 sixes and 35. Or better, yeah. That's incredible. That is an incredible That is a well played race for McKenzie. I mean, yeah. well played. And the fact that he kept his head about him and just, uh, you know, he did, he did, he did great. So those guys got a six week break now. They're off to, I think it's Magni Core. They go to next. And, you know that um, joint? I do know that place. I do know MagniCore probably too well. Too well. <laughs> yep, probably too well. But uh, And yeah. then they go – what, do they only got three races left? They go to – Yeah, they only have three. Well, to, no, maybe maybe one more because 12 got canceled, and I don't think they've uh, they've announced where it's going to be. So I think they, they, go, they, they go to – that's right. They go to MagniCore, Aragon, Portugal, and then it looks like – I think they're talking about – from what I understand, it sounds like Jerez might be – on yeah. there for them. So Correct. yeah, that's where Correct. they're off to. So I'm uh, I'm off Greg to uh as I told you, a little bit of a we, we previewed a little bit about Silverstone, but I'm off to Silverstone for um MotoGP this weekend and I'm excited to get over there. I'm pumped to never been to Silverstone. That was the first place that my father ever won a motorcycle race. And no kidding. Yeah, so for me it's kind of cool to be able to go there and hey, can you do us all a favor and actually take some photos and actually social media about your experience just a smidge so we can kind of <laughs> see a little bit about what you're doing? I'm pretty bad. I am bad. Yeah, I, you know you're, what? you're about as bad as I. You're a little better than I am, though, honestly. But I blame nice. Stamboli. Why? Why do you blame Stamboli? Because since I rode that bike, I've never I've, – I've just because I never made even a real post about that day. Yeah. And it's always been in my brain, like, I really should post about that. And I'm like, ah. Until I post about that, it's not really important to post about anything else. But I will. I will. Did you know I'm a fisherman now? Did you know that? No, I know you caught a fish. Caught, catching a fish doesn't make you a fisherman. I'm not even a fisherman. Catching I was a, a fish kayak. means you caught a fish. Yeah, but I, I, I caught. It's you got to understand the story. 
I went to Dick's Sporting Goods, bought some cheap ass. Yeah, you nothing. went to Dick's and now you're a seaman. Yes, that's very nice. I went out and I I kayaked out. Hey, I now. caught. I was FaceTiming my mom who won. My I was FaceTiming my mom from this kayak, just knowing that I was going to drop my phone in a lake, knowing it was going to happen. <laughs> and then and then I have not caught anything. I couldn't even catch a cold out there. And next thing you know, I'm talking to my mom, and I'm like, "That doesn't feel like the bottom." And then my, I caught, I caught this. Uh, it was basically like part of the Pike family. This fish, and the thing had big old razor sharp teeth. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to do this. This is. First of all, stuff. first yeah. of all, I zoomed in and saw the photo you sent me. Okay, that fish had like 14 hook marks in it. So that was the one of the that, dumbest that fish the, ever. The, yeah, <laughs> they, they, the, the people They're paid dumb, that but fish you to caught just the dumbest on. of them all. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. No, wow. But it was great. I had a lot of fun and. I even sent my picture oh, to Raj. Oh, Raj was oh, impressive. Oh. So, yeah. I need you to do me a favor oh, when you're in the UK. Yeah. The Jack's, speaking of fishermen, Jack's Fisherman or whatever it's called. I know there's no shot oh, that Stevie's yeah, listening you to need it. The, he's I need some throat lozenges. Yes. I need he's some of those Jack's Fishermen or whatever they are. Jack's something or another. He's already been texting me during this podcast. Oh, has he? All right. Well, I, I need you to, to gra- or gra- have him grab some bags and bring those back to the U.S. for me because they do sell them in the U.S., but they're just not as good as the ones yep. you find no, over there. I'll, well, I'll get them for you. You can count it's on me, G-Dub. They'll be magic. there for you at Pitt. Especially, listen, especially when we have a Junior Cup race, too, and it's the first race of the day, and I went a little big on the voice, and I was getting nervous that I was going to lose it. Yeah, I'll start, doing, I'll start doing some posts. And uh, sure. we had, I had some great fans of uh, the podcast come up to me yesterday at Brainerd. Um, no matter what I told them about you, they still like the podcast. Really? Mm. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. No. By, by the way, really cool. before before we let you go, if you're still listening to this, don't forget we do the MotoGP Fantasy League. So we got fantasy coming up. Uh, if you're not part of it, you can go sign up at fantasy.motogp.com for free. Find the Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore uh, league that we're in, and there's prizes. First place wins yep. a set of Dunlop Q5s along with an Arai helmet, and then a second place is Q5s. Third place is Q5S's, the street version of that tire. And then we're randomly going to figure out at some point during the season, someone will win a one-on-one with Jason Pridmore out at Chuckwalla during the winter. And we'll, we'll tell you all about that. But that is a uh, $11 million value. They might not want it. Pawn it off to their grandmother. They might not want it. So there. Grams, I got a great opportunity for you. Yeah. Go wow. get a scooter and you get to go, t- you get to go <clears throat> learn how to ra- I mean, look, man, your curriculum is, you know, it's mid, but what are you going to do? It's it's shit, really. Um, all right. So, listen, everybody, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, for, uh, thanks for sliding us into your week here. Brainerd was fun. I'm looking forward to Pitt. I'm looking forward to Silverstone. Like Greg said, we got MotoGP. I think I think Outdoor Motocross clicks back in either this weekend or the next. Can't nope. remember. Just MotoGP next week. Just MotoGP styling. The question is, will Jason be on the podcast or will I call Jeff White to do it? That I'm, is the question. Dude, my boy Jeff White's got my back. He would do it in a heartbeat for me. I oh, think I, I think I could it. do it Monday. I think I could okay. do it Monday with you. That's fine. We can do but it hey, we could bring Jeff White on and just have him give us no, his expert analysis no, no, as well. No, 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 no. I think. No, no. You know what I mean? No. Hey, how bum were you that the donut the donut truck was gone at Brainerd? G-Dub was – him and Cole uh, were in tears all week. No donuts. None. Yeah, I mean, every time Cole came to the booth, he would open the door, and I was looking down to see if he was hiding 
No uh, even on Sunday. And then Kolb said that the truck even left. So no one was there to work it on Saturday. And they towed the thing away. And it wasn't even there on Sunday. It wasn't. No. I saw it. I saw it by, over by the old. Anyways, yeah, those donuts were special. They just yeah, we'll need go- more. They need more Greg Whites in the world. And that place could stay in business. Just just say goodbye and get on your stupid airplane and have fun. All right, everybody. I'm out. I, Greg, I'm playing six rounds of golf this week in Ireland. It's going to rain every day. So that'll be great. It's going to be great. So anyways, everybody, take care of yourselves. Be safe on the weekend. Talk to you next week. Later. Bye.